Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest, but first, a quick message about goal setting. Goal setting is one of the most important aspects to achieving anything in life. If you don't know where you're going, you might end up someplace else. I'd like to invite you to join me for three days on the Mexican Riviera for an intensive goal setting retreat so that you start your 2020 with energy, purpose, focus, and momentum. The annual goal setting retreat will take place over the first weekend in December on the beautiful Mexican Riviera. Registration will open up on July 31st. If you're interested in learning more, send an email to goals at victorjm.com and you'll be among the first to have the opportunity to join me in Mexico. We keep these retreats small and intimate. This event will sell out. Send an email to goals at victorjm.com. That's goals at victorjm.com. We're back here on the weekend edition. We interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. We've got a repeat guest this time. He's been on the show before, all the way from Southern California. Welcome to the show, Marco Santarelli. Victor, great to be here. So Marco, when we spoke last time, we talked about different real estate strategies. We talked about you being involved in multiple different markets. And one of the questions that keeps coming up is about the market cycle. Where are we in the market cycle? Does it still make sense to invest? Are we headed for a downturn? All of these types of questions. Should we wait on the sidelines and wait for better pricing to come around? What are your thoughts? Well, when we talk about market cycles, Victor, you know, we have to put the right lens in front of that. We can't just talk about a market cycle in general terms, just like the fact that there's no such thing as a housing market. And you know, this drives me bananas when I hear the mainstream media and the talking heads on TV and radio and whatnot talk about housing as if it was one big nebulous blob. And that just doesn't exist. You know as well as I do that this country, the United States alone is made up of over 400 major metropolitan statistical areas. I like to track 405 of them and you know the question becomes when you talk about a market cycle what market are you talking about because what happens in let's say ottawa canada as we were just talking about before recording versus detroit michigan versus san diego california versus let's say san antonio texas may be completely different things and sometimes we can't even explain why there is such a tremendous amount of growth or appreciation in a particular market so you know, we like to categorize markets in three tiers, a, a tier one, tier two, and a tier three market. And just for your listeners to understand that, you know, a tier one market is, is a major metropolitan area, i.e. Manhattan or New York, uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Those markets tend to be very pricey, and you could argue that they may be inflated, overpriced, um, you know, in, in bubble territory. Then you've got tier two markets, which makes up a lot of middle America, if you will. Uh, these are the Kansas cities and the Indian Indianapolis of the world. Now, for many years, since 2012, these markets have been performing very, very well. We more or less hit a bottom in most of the markets, particularly these tier two markets around 2012. 2011, 2012, 2013, people made off extremely well from an appreciation perspective getting in these markets in 2010 when they were dragging along their bottom. Uh, after you know the uh, housing market implosion back in 2007 and 8 <clears throat> but you know today a lot of these markets have kind of reached a bit of a peak and i'm not saying that it's an absolute top but they've kind of hit a plateau as of as of today or as of this month i should say 43% of the us housing markets have declined quarter over quarter 
Let's translate that. That's about 175 markets. 43% of all U.S. markets have experienced, on inflation-adjusted terms, declines in property values compared to the prior quarter. Now, that's not a red flag or an alarming statistic. It's just, it is what it is. It's just a breather more often than not. But what we are seeing are appreciation rates slowing down pretty much across the board. So what is someone to do? You know, you ask, where are we in the market cycle? Well, the question is, is what market are we talking about? Let's, you know, we need to get specific. And I'm not saying we need to do that on the show here. But just to differentiate and be clear, you need to focus on one market at a time. And just to kind of wrap up a big answer to a small question, we're seeing that, again, a lot of these markets have slowed down. Some of them are starting to really depreciate. And so what's the strategy? So the, the tack that we take is that we move from these tier two to tier three markets in some cases where they're smaller micro markets. They're often sub submarkets or suburbs of the larger tier two markets. And we find that there are more opportunity there because prices are not as high or haven't appreciated as much as the larger metropolitan areas surrounding it. And rents are still strong. So when you compare that rent as a ratio to the purchase price or your acquisition price, it still gives you a favorable rate of return and it still makes sense as an investment, but you're still benefiting from the growth of that larger metropolitan area that is nearby. If you go back to economic fundamentals and just put aside all the real estate lingo, put aside discussions about market cycles, at the end of the day, it comes down to very simple supply and demand. What's driving supply? What's driving demand? And where do we sit with respect to that balance? You could have a hot market that's oversupplied. For example, right now, I would say that the condo market in parts of Miami are oversupplied again. Uh, There's probably examples like that, for example, uh, Seattle, Washington that condo market also oversupplied, even though it's a great market from a jobs perspective, influx of population, influx of great jobs. Still, it's a little bit oversupplied. So it's exactly like you said, it's understanding those fundamentals. What are the markets that have your attention today? Because at the end of the day, there are certain rules that are timeless. They stand the test of time, irrespective of any discussion of market cycles. Yeah, so markets that, we're in 22 different markets where we have ready to go, essentially what we define as a turnkey investment property. And, and, and this is the product type that you know, we obviously market to our clients and, and put them in these markets and different properties. So you know, I like to focus on 20 to 22 different markets right now. Many of these markets seem to be perennial, like Memphis, for example, for the longest time, I used to call it a sleeper market, kind of a, a boring market. But interestingly enough, more recently, and it could be because of a lack of what you were talking about, supply, um, that dynamic is driving that market. And it's all of a sudden become more of a growth market than it was, you know, a true just flat cash flow market. And so Memphis has, rather than faded into the background, actually popped up to the front of the line as far as a cash flow market and become more of a growth or hybrid market for us. You know, the Alabama markets are still doing very well in terms of, you know, what we label a cash flow market. So we definitely like those. The state of Wisconsin as a whole is experiencing very strong growth. So I'm actually researching markets within the state of Wisconsin uh, as a potential new market. Now, we're already in Milwaukee, but we can't get a lot of inventory there. But, you know, places like Madison and whatnot, they they are looking fairly attractive, although, um, you know, appreciation is strong and 
you get to a point where these markets now price themselves out of what a real estate investor would want in terms of an investment to perform well, to give you the, the types of cap rates or cash on cash returns that you would like. So, so let's go, actually, let's go back to Alabama for a moment, just as a, as a case study, as an example. So if you pick a market like Huntsville, you've got a couple of major employers making major investments. You've got Honda, Toyota opening new plants there, making plant expansions. It's not a very high-priced market in terms of dollars per square foot. So the rents aren't terribly high, but they're solid. And there is starting to be growth in the market in terms of new product being built in the market. Again, the numbers aren't super strong, but it's all solid and in the right direction. What, what are your thoughts? Well, I really like Huntsville. A lot of people don't under, don't realize that Huntsville is kind of like a mini a mini um, Silicon Valley. There, there's a lot of tech down there. Yes, there is. Uh, Moody's at one point ranked uh, Huntsville the um, number one market for U.S. employment growth, and that wasn't too long ago. That was you know just a number of years ago. Uh, even the Milken Institute, you know, re- they release a report every year and they ranked it in the top three best performing U.S. cities. Now, I believe that was in terms of, of growth um, when they talk about performing. But really, it's one of the country's most affordable cities. Even to this day, it's still very affordable. So when you look at the possibilities there, what you can acquire and what it can rent or lease for, whether it's a condo, single family, duplex, fourplex, or maybe an an apartment complex or even assisted living facility, you know, the possibilities are, are very large. It's an attractive Metro for business. It's appreciating. And my prediction is that that market will continue to grow for the next probably three to five years without a lot of interruption, some fluctuation, but, but not a lot of interruption. And it's really all about influx of population, influx of jobs, influx of high-paying jobs. And those economic drivers, those economic anchors are what's necessary to have a thriving housing market. Exactly. I mean, at the heart of it is really jobs, job growth, population growth, because all those things do is they just create demand for housing. And if you have demand for housing, you have no choice but to supply that housing. And those are rentals and those are sales. And if you've got that, well, in time, those those property values should increase just because of you know the the fundamentals that you talked about before and that is supply and demand i love it i love it one of the things that you've talked about in the past and i know that you you know when you speak publicly you talk about um, a number of different rules that are at the underpinning of what you teach uh, why don't we go over some of those that might be appropriate to this particular discussion Sure. Well, there's, there's a lot of, (laughs) there's a lot of those. Um, You know, I I guess, I guess to segue from everything we've been talking about is, is really what I refer to as my fifth rule of my 10 rules of successful real estate investing. And we may have touched upon this in a previous episode of yours, but really it's simply to be market agnostic. You know, I've, I've stated the fact that, you know, here in the U.S., we have over 400 major MSAs, metropolitan statistical areas, and if you include micro markets, we've got over 600. So that fact alone should tell you that there's a lot to pick and choose from. We're not living in one housing market. So if you can be market agnostic and knowing that markets move up and down independently of one another because of these local factors that we're talking about, the drivers, the jobs, the population growth up or down, then you'll come to realize that you know, I'm not a big fan of, of choosing stocks in the stock market, but if you were trying to pick the best stock in the stock market and you were doing your proper due diligence and research, 
you'll, you'll know that Coca-Cola is going to perform differently than, let's say, a company in the tech sector such as Netflix. So if, if that's true, the same thing applies to real estate. you got to pick and choose your stocks or your markets based on those local fundamentals, maybe the technicals, the technical analysis of that market, and only invest in markets when it makes sense to do so, not because you live there or because you've bought property there before or because your sister-in-law lives there. There's a there, there's an, a, an element of timing here, but it's not about speculating and it's not about bucking the trend. You you obviously want to stack those factors in your favor and work with the market and ride that wave while you're getting cash flow in order to grow your wealth. I love that. I love that. Well, Marco, if folks want to get in touch and learn a little bit more, what's the best way? Yeah, the best way is really just our two websites. Our, our property website is noradarealestate.com, N-O-R-A-D-A, noradarealestate.com. And then the home of our sister site um, and our podcast is Passive Real Estate Investing, and that's passiverealestateinvesting.com. I love it. Well, Marco, great to catch up again. And for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Marco at noradarealestate.com and check them out on the Passive Real Estate Investing Podcast. Wildly popular podcast. It's a great show. I listen to it. And so definitely check them out there as well. And Marco, thanks for joining us again this week. It's been awesome, Victor. Thank you. In the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. 